Hello, everyone, and welcome to Listener Supported Witch Hassle The Quiet Storm. It's Witch Hassle After Dark for this episode. It's Late Night Witch Hassle. So if you're listening to this during the day, you can keep going. But know that for this episode, which was recorded late at night, optimal listening is when the sun is down, the moon is up, and most of this little world has gone to bed. Talking to Saul Mondrian about the moon. That's right, it's another Altered States episode here on listener-supported Witch Hassle. That series of interviews with practitioners who favor a particular planet in their practice. It's a great chat, and I do hope you enjoy it. Something that has come to my attention in listening back to this is that I don't really know a lot of people or really see them about who have Mars as their primary planetary focus. So if you've got a strong Mars practice and want to do an altered states, or if you know someone who you think would be a good candidate, please do reach out and let me know. One last bit of housekeeping before we get to the interview. Tomorrow is October 16th, the feast day of St. Hedwig, a very important saint for me, and the patron saint of people who are incarcerated and people who are in debt. And so I'm going to be doing, in her honor, a divination sale. 20% off divination if you book it between October 16th, her feast day, and October 24th. And it doesn't have to the reading doesn't have to be during that time. You just have to reach out and book it between those two days. But half the proceeds will be going to a charity that either helps people in debt or people who are incarcerated. I'm still trying to figure out a good one for it. But that's 20% off, and half of it goes somewhere lovely in honor of St. Hedwig. So do reach out for that if you are interested in taking advantage. And now, without further ado, here on Witch Hassle After Dark, it's Saul Mondrian talking about the moon. Is it going? It's going. Incredible. Okay. So when I think about the moon, one of the things that jumps to mind for me is the idea of the child and the caretaker a little bit. Like I think the moon often can take the role of the child. And so I, I especially as someone who teaches children for a living, does the moon give you a chance to be a child again in a certain way that you perhaps have to, I guess you don't have to give children the opportunity to be children because they kind of just do it on their own. Or maybe they don't. Maybe I misunderstand children. I don't work with them. So I don't really know what they're like. Honestly, I would say the moon has taught me to be more of an adult or rather has re- has reminded me that I'm capable of the kind of things we ascribe to adults. One of my deep fears is of starting something and then giving it up, of making a commitment and then not following through to it. Every time I hear someone talking about how a a wizard's word is uh, is his most powerful power, um, I start to introspect and it gets gets rough. The moon is as a cyclical, as 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 a power of habit and rhythm and home. I suppose that does tie into the way I... I run my classroom the way that I that I try to comfort them by regularity. Mm. But you know, that's something that I as an adult need as well. It's so easy to fall from your commitments, to fall from your habits. And so 
the regularity of the moon, her call to to a practice that's home to you, a practice that's a launching pad for the spirit to other activities. That's been, I would say, the most impactful quality of the moon in my life. And one of the few that I can really put my finger on. Mm. Really. So like, that's very interesting because I think there are different, there, I, to call them schools, I think makes it more explicit than I think it is for most people. I think most people are acting on like an ideological basis for this sort of thing. But like, there's the idea of like magic is like, there are big rituals. There's the idea of magic is like the latter, right? If like I'm getting closer and closer to something, uh, whatever that might be. But then there's also magic, I think, as setting a bunch of systems kind of spinning on their own. Of becoming a system. That's Ooh. what magic me. Really? Okay. So it, in, does that feel lunar to you? Talk about, talk about becoming a system. What does it mean for you to be a magical system in, in, on the move? When I think of myself as a magician now, after these years of, of going progressively stranger, I feel like a node in an ecosystem a node that is pumping out qualities into consensus reality, like a sea creature, like an anemone pulsing and pushing water through its own vesicles and absorbing from it and pushing out a little bit of itself into the environment. I feel like, I often joke that the person speaking to you now is the possessory entity that took over the bi biography and life of a Latin teacher a couple of years ago, I feel so different from who I was before I began leading a magical life. And that process of the magical life, which for me, to no one's surprise more than my own, that that magical life is very, very time-bound, very cyclical. The, the cycle of the planetary days and nights became way more relevant to me than I would have ever anticipated when I started this. And, and so this, this motion that I make through the planetary wheel um, and the, the repeating almost tidal nature of the way I engage with spirit, I'll give you an example of exactly what I mean. When I'm really on my groove, when everything is going as planned, Sometimes I'll be standing at whatever shrine, making whatever offering, and it feels like the day before and the day after. I feel like I am, through that repetition, part of a pattern beyond the now, almost like looking back at a fractalized version of my own practice. This doesn't always happen, but when it does, I think it's getting at something about the way my particular nature engages with the magical. And I wonder how much of that came from how heavily I engage with the moon specifically. You know, like Jupiter has a very forward momentum for me, at least. And Venus is not especially concerned with, with cycles as long as things continue to flourish and become lovelier. But the primary way we engage with the moon is through her cycles, even when that happens to be the perpetual miserable reminder someone on on social media mentioning that it's the full moon and you go ah oh, shit uh it's happening again the moon is the workshop clock of the magician's guild <laughs> one one that i would do well to look at more frequently that's that's the, the strangest thing she's right there you can just look at it this this incomprehensible thing you're right when you talk about schools of thought there are there are so many ways of looking at her that i feel like this cyclical element is is, a, is like a subset even a subsidiary way that that i approach her despite my lived experience being primarily of her as a, a giver of cycles i don't know i feel like there are four or five or six completely discrete god form moons four or five or six completely discrete planetary moons that have so little to do with each other i can't think of another planet that is like this it's like the the huge dichotomy between people who think of saturn as the the great malefic the the terrible force and then people who are like daddy um it is as different with the moon but in more dimensions my hope for this is that I will finally figure something out about her after much trying. 
What is your relationship to this manifold nature of the moon? Do you find that you have to give equal time to the separate faces or is it trying always to kind of look at something that is never quite in focus? It shifts in and out the way that things do in dreams. What I find is that her call to me is to show up, to appear in front of the shrine, do my little rituals. And then what happens after that always surprises me. I've experienced the, the kind of terrifying alien moon on a few occasions. The, there's, a, there's a painting I love of an entity with a blank moon-like face wearing kind of like a clown's ruff and it has the most horrible little hands. Um, and that is spot on the way the moon feels to me sometimes. That feeling of a presence behind me sometimes lunar spirits actually yeah when i when i experience spirits that i think of as lunar spirits they often present in that kind of uncanny way but that is by no means all i get from her when you do these sorts of practices what do you feel like is the it doesn't because the way you're describing it right the the vibe doesn't sound sort of goal oriented that i go to the moon and the moon does this what is what is sort of the experience? What is the yearning here? It's funny that you put it that way because you're right. And yet the thing that connected me to the moon in the first place was extremely goal-oriented. Um, there is a, a PDM spell, a very short formula that you say on a full moon, and it's effectively a wish-granting formula. And my interaction with the moons in seriousness began by performing um, this Achthiofif Ereshkigal Nebutosueleth formula, which I turned into a month-long contract. And so there was a goal, although very typical of me, it was more and better magic. Um, my formula to her, I think, was that I come to you again this time a new magician. And she delivered on that. But the process of showing up at the shrine each day to meet that commitment, when the goal, I know how to phrase this, you know, with sigils, the standing wisdom is that you forget what the sigil is for. I love cyclical contractual magic because it does that in a really direct way. You have made your your will, you've specified your will, and then you put it behind you, you've made the contract, and now all you have to do is keep up your end of the bargain, which allows this space to open in which you're doing the ritual, and then whatever else happens, whatever else comes out of that, um, you don't have any expectation for it, you don't have any demands on it. It can just be doing Doing magic isn't even really the right word. Being magic for the mm. sake of being magic, because all you have to do is keep making making that commitment. So it's I'm I'm very curious about this because it sounds sort of fundamental, and so I wanna I wanna like make sure we all have a clear vision of what we're we're talking about. So full moon night, you go to the moon, you say this PGM mm-hmm. uh, spell, and you ask to return to the moon one month hence, mm-hmm. a new magician. Yep. Then what are you doing? On a, on a nightly basis, you go to the altar and then you mm-hmm. make an offering, you say the same thing. What do you, what is, what is this payment that you're making? And was that exchange it explicit? Like payment, doesn't it? Um, although it never, it, it sounds like a payment, but it never felt like a payment. Um, mm. What did it feel me, like? Hmm, sorry to, to go silent. I am really struggling to answer that. It felt like, a bubble opening around me. It felt like entering a still and silent other world centered around my altar, where doing the thing echoes backward and forward. And you're not doing it to to pay for the magic. It's because to become that magician you enter into this space and time of the person you're becoming, doing it, doing the same words, the same offering, the same pattern, but it changes over time. It starts to extend outward. The shrine itself 
for me at least, started to feel like it was directing its own growth. I had a clearer and clearer idea of what, what this arrangement of objects needed to be and why. It became ever more elaborate. Um, it's actually the most elaborate shrine in my household, much more so than my magical altar, much more so than my altar to any other planet. Um, it takes up quite a lot of space by now, um, actually. And me there in front of it, the way the prayer feels inside you starts to change. It starts to become more resonant. Not always. There are days when you get that dull thud. You, you oh, I've, I've done the thing because doing the thing is what I will myself to do right now. This is what I, I would rather be doing nothing else than this right now. It didn't work. See you tomorrow. But your personality kind of begins to rub away when you do a ritual again and again and again. You become the person that has done it instead of the person doing it. That is incredibly mystical sounding, but I think that's exactly what I mean. You, the person at that altar has that, ex, that extending history behind her and ahead of her. That makes sense because I am picturing as you talk about time, this idea that because the ritual is the thing that makes you synonymous with every past and future version of you that is doing the ritual, it is the thing that gives you access to that future person. You can you can sort of jump ahead in time. The level, yeah, the level of access changes and yeah, you're, you are now a starship traveling from the past into the future on the vehicle. That sounds very Egyptian on the vehicle of these rights. And I realize just we've gotten it. away from my original question, which is the rights, by the way. What were the rights oh, again? <laughs> um, I keep it very simple. Um, I give water and milk. I have two cups and the proportion and direction of the water and milk changes according to the uh, phase of the moon. It's a very crude kind of signifier of which part of the moon is, is lit. I bless them. I bless a dupe cone. I light a candle. I shut all the doors to the room where the shrine is in. That element kind of extended itself into the right without me planning it. Um, and then I say the Orphic hymn to, uh, to the moon. And then that was, that was all that was required from my Achthyophys experience. Now, on particular lunar days and hours, um, I'll also follow it with one or more cycles of lunar mantras. In fact, it has recently become the hour of the moon, um, where I am on the night of the moon. And I'm sitting here in front of um, my relocated shrine, and I was wondering if I might perform the Orphic Hymn as part of this recording. Of course, feel free to say no if that would be no, terrible. No, please, video. no. Link this to the moon forever and ever. <laughs> um, I figure since I'm sitting in an invoking field anyway, I might as well um, finish what I started, right? So what I love about the way I, I do the moon and about, well, really all of my planetary engagements is that it's something that is plugged into the rest of my life. I've recently started doing Orphic Hymns um, and a dupe cone just on my way out the door to work. It's always in the first planetary hour, so it's really convenient for me to do this. And then I get to leave my house fragrant with spirit and then go off and um, be very sweet to the children. So, yeah. I thought for a while about singing the Orphic Hymn um, uh, for Flora this. Just rising. I'm, I'm feeling bold. I invoked Mercury before all of this. My practice is to light the incense after the hymn, and I feel that I am in the minority in this one, but it's my understanding that is how I'm going to do it. Amen. 
Auxomene, Calepomene, Fe, Luz, Teca Arsen, Augeitera, Philippe, Rolumete, Ferecate, Electris, Baruthume, Catogastera, Lucheae, Panderces, Filagrutne, Calois, Astrois, Ibruusa, Jesuhie, Jairusa, Eufrone, Olbio, Moiro, Lampetie, Haridoti, Telesfore, Nuptos, Agalma, Astrarche, Tanupe, Plelicodrome, Pansofe, Pure, Elthe, Macareufron, Evastere fengei triso lampomene, sostus aneus hicetas seo cure. Receive, Lady Moon, from the hands of stone magician. Fire, smoke, and prayer. So now we really are supervised. Yeah, thank you for letting me bear witness to that. I don't know if it'll make good radio, but we'll see. You've got a lovely singing voice, and I think that that takes us at least 90% of the way there to good radio. Um, so here, I so I'm curious about two things that just happened. One is that you, when you made the offering, you you mentioned yourself in the third person as, I believe you said, stone magician. Mm-hmm. Did that name originate as part of this initial sort of moon ritual, or is that as something that you sort of no, developed actually, independently? Um, a stone comes from my time in the DKMU. So I'm Saul to all of my spirits, but a stone is a magical name and personality that, that came from, I guess, the transition of into a greater phase of confidence in myself. Um, mm-hmm. Um, after the end of my of my marriage, I felt that I came into myself more so as a magician, and so I acquired, as you know, as one does, a new name. I believe I was frantically stoned and petitioning um, the god form Ellis um, for more and better magic, um, and so. You know how sometimes things start as kind of an idea you're playing with, and then suddenly it's reality. That's kind of where this name came from. Um, I didn't, instead of like choosing one, it, it was one of several options I was kind of daydreaming about that then was um, given to me with the force of cannabis and revelation. And when you said you were in an invocation circle, what is your method for that sort of? Um, it is a disgusting combination of the. Um, of the operant field theory that I see amongst top wit ceremonial magicians and being a filthy coyote. So for me, um, it's the the Gnostic banishing ritual of the pentagram, followed by a version of the Kia centering in the place of the Gnostic cross, and then unicursal planetary hexagrams with Greek vowels. Wow, incredible. Well, um, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. No, not really. I'm uh, between the time um, when I messaged you uh, saying, give me a few minutes. And you said there were fireworks. And I said, oh, sweet. I have time for an invoking field. So, you know, it's about 15 minutes if I take my time. Okay. Yeah. Still don't know what that was about, but it's New York. There's fireworks all the time. Every day is a holiday here for someone. May they're displeased the queen instead. So it's interesting because this theme that you, um, you know, you ask the moon, better magic actually before we get away from the moon because i'm curious because you talked to ellis about this and i wonder how many people you have gotten to to sort of you know make the voltron up yourself oh, the, oh the stone man but before we even get the there of the, of the grim reaper going to one door and another and blood trails are coming out of that um but how else do we become magicians i mean yeah, I, exactly. I remember the training montage from samurai jack i hope everyone else does you know <laughs> but um i am curious before we even get there with this particular instance of it with the moon you Say, I want to come back a month later as a new magician. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it worked. It worked, but I have no flashy narrative. I have nothing to say in terms of what I would write down in a magical journal about this, except mm. that I did this thing. I saw myself at the shrine every day. I met that commitment. I didn't miss it a single night, which for me, I am sad to say, is an achievement. And by the time I finished, no pyrotechnics happened. I didn't have a numinous dream. But now, you know, about, what, 
a year of of engagement with the moon later maybe yeah probably more if i kept good records i could say things but i don't my whole relationship with spirit is different than it was and mm. we all want the flashy story uh, we want to feel the house quake. We want to be visited by a by a lunar entity with eyes like cowrie shells in the mid middle of the night and be bitten. But in my case, I, I I feel this gratitude toward the moon, a power I don't understand, barely know how to invoke, because I feel like the person I am now is is a new magician compared to what I was before, and that's it's so unconvincing without details, but. And I believe you. <laughs> and it sounds that's the thing, is like it sounds it sounds believable because it's almost, you know, it's the braver claim that you don't have the sort of, you know, you can hang your hat on the and then um, a man dressed all in white came to my door and he said, You've done it, lad. And and then he murdered me. But here I yeah. am. Gosh, that is the Saturn coming out of me, isn't it? <laughs> You've done it, and here comes the scythe. Here it comes. Time to harvest the child. In the time since I did this working, this month-long contract, I feel that my sense of communication with spirit is much more direct than it was before. I feel my connection to mantra is much more powerful than before. I feel like my ability to get insights from the planets through meditation is more than it was before. And, and I feel like my life is more magical i i joke sometimes that it's the transition from doing magic to being magic mm. which would would sound incredibly conceited if, if the claims weren't so so homely of of just feeling like you are you are in your element as a magician even when you're outside of the house even when you're pursuing your other your other interests that it's it's comfortable you never have that 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 cosplaying feeling, yeah, um, which is always illegitimate. You are always doing the real thing, even perhaps especially when you're feeling like you're you're role playing it a little bit. I feel like the kind of things we want to to LARP a little bit. I feel like that is metaphysically useful information. It tells you something about the kind of soul that is incarnated in you even if the expression is a little cringe at first. But in my experience, at least, the things that start a little cringe or the things we do when we're trying to avoid cringe eventually turn into the practices that define us. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that is sort of the thing. It's the, the things that we do as jokes to give ourselves permission are the things that like let us slide into becoming ourselves without realizing it. That's how it started for me. It was a it was a slightly horny garden statue of a minotaur, and the joke was, "Wouldn't it be cool, haha, ha, funny if we did an idolatry?" Um, and here I am, all of these years later, um, and that slightly horny-looking minotaur is still on on my shrine. Um, huh? That's because, like you know, I mean, horned animals, especially you know, with the big sort of the big set that I assume. Uh, a, uh, a minotaur would would have. I well, personally actually nubby ones. I'm more of a Hereford kind of guy, but yes, go ahead. Okay, well, I mean, there's something sort of lunar about them usually, right? I mean, there's oh, the the um, well, what what number word? Um, do you like do you feel the fifth word of the of the hymn is Taurokeros Mene, cattle horned moon? Mm. Do you do you feel that the minotaur was the beginning of of a sort of like a little hello from the moon? Is this another face of the goddess? No. The, no. The okay. Face, I, mean, I mean, I love it. I have a huge cow skull next to the shrine. But as often, I feel the most confident about my experience of spirit when they absolutely do not flatter the kind of things that I like aesthetically. Mm. Um, if if a spirit comes to me with a with a big, gorgeous minotaur head, I am going to assume that it either wants to eat me or is a figment of my imagination because that that would be catering to my whims too much yeah but no um the beginning of the moon for me was specifically the incredibly convenient formula from the pdm um i i loved how easy it was to memorize i loved that it was popularized by sam Locke. um 
And, you know, my aesthetic is very, um, very Alexandrian when I let it be Alexandrian chaos, which I guess, let's just say, I, I am like a magician of the PGM in that way. No, I started that. And my first, my first foray, it was a ridiculously um, ad hoc shrine, which was never meant to be anything other than the thing I did the, the contract at. It was this yantra that I'm holding up, a howlite bracelet twisted into a lemniscate and um, like something to burn a candle on. That was it. And <laughs> it just, it, the, the practice took on a life of its own, which is always just a nice feeling. It is wonderful that sort of theme that I feel like I'm running into of people who are like, they know it's the thing to do in this kind of rushed way where it just needs to happen. So it like needed- you don't, because I mean, as a, you know, I don't know about you, maybe this is my more Saturnine quality. My problem is not keeping the habit going. My problem is always giving myself permission to start. Um, mm. You know, the actually I'm very lucky because there was a, somebody left a bunch of anarchist pamphlets at the university just sitting around and I grabbed one of them and it's become this sort of beautiful object of, of consideration because the, uh, the back of it, of this, you know, zine that someone has made is just a quote, I guess, from it. I haven't finished reading it yet. Um, that was just like the, the, the real, the miracle is to really begin. It which is, is a miracle when we begin something, isn't it? I know it is for me. Um, I believe it's called With Daggers Drawn. Great name for an anarchist zine. But oh, anyway, absolutely. so now that you've had some time with the moon and the moon you have sort of had your 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 negotiations what does the moon altar look like now what is what do you feel like is essential to a moon altar now that you have really gotten the moon's horns into you <laughs> i would say speaking from experience the only thing necessary is something to burn a dupe cone on because the hymns require incense everything else is a matter of aesthetic for me weirdly, pink. For me, the moon is pink. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I know, pink and cream. Um, So for me, the most important devotional components to it are a yantra um, that I can do fixed gaze meditation on while I'm I'm performing mantras. I have this this eerie eight by 10, um, image of the moon that I stole from Twitter. Um, a, a lady wearing a, a pink garment with, with her hands folded in front of her and her head is just the sphere of the moon. And this has been elaborated into <laughs> one of my better ad hoc frame jobs. I've got several uh, pieces of calligraphy stuck to it. There's washi tape everywhere. Um, I love looking at it. A moonstone for resonance, a, a bottle of um, a bottle of moon oil I made on the lark and um, most importantly I guess for my actual practice uh, my moon mala which um, I made specifically for planetary devotion to the moon. I want to get to the mala because the mala is very interesting to me but before we get there I do want to actually because now I, I, I have this sort of nosy impulse. Moon oil you say what uh, oh. what happened there? Tell me about it. Oh 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 I, I it's no one should listen to this because I have no expertise in herbalism. I, I did what any No expertise, says the man who got transformed by the moon. Okay, sure. I did what any reasonable person would do. Mugwort, jasmine, lettuce. Um, lettuce? Which, yeah, it's, any watery herb is lunar. Mm. Yeah, I believe those were the primary components. And so I, I, I macerated those and I, I steeped them in sweet almond oil. Um, expose them to the full moon a bunch, um, lots of chanting, you know, just the way anyone would make a, an anointing oil. You live in the desert, no? I do, yeah. Does, does that, does the moon change your relationship to water or is that as a desert person or is it sort of, because my understanding, because I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from the opposite of the desert, so I don't really get it, but I do get the sort of sense that with water, there's like none of it. And then suddenly there's much too much is sort of the way the desert works, right? Like everything's very dry and then suddenly it's a flood and no one's ready. We've had the most gorgeous monsoon this year in particular. So heavy rain, maybe twice a week, which is, is the most I've seen in a while. Joshua Michael Fry of the Emerald has an incredible episode on the moon that really focuses on the moon as a power of the water in the cells of living things. Mm. Um, 
And everything he has to say is deeper on the subject of the moon and water than, than any thought I've ever had. For me, and this also is surprising because I, it's not something that I feel very connected to on my own. The moon has, has presented herself as being very oceanic. The, the sea is not a major part of my practice. I, I have never, I've not lived by the sea since I was a little boy and haven't been there since I was in college. And so for the moon to be so consistently tidal in, in a way that doesn't feel forced, I, it's not me sitting here thinking of, of waves and sea creatures in order to evoke the moon, but when I, when I invoke the moon, then I start thinking about octopus and shit, which is not normal for me. I, hmm. you know what I love about spirit, spirit-oriented theurgy? Tell me. Your tastes and preferences start to change in a way that is kind of fun and really drives home that there, there, there are powers that have investment in you. I bring this up because um, I never liked Pearl before I started working with the moon. In fact, I, I, I would actually say I actively disliked it. It's gross. It, it, it's kind of gross. I don't especially like it. But now I am actually really fond of it. Um, the, the ring I always put on before doing my, my lunar work has a mother of pearl inlay in it. And uh, I'm sitting here in front of a, um, a coin-shaped pearl that I, I ordered specially to turn into a piece of lunar jewelry. I thought it would be nice to have that attached to the memory of this conversation. Mm. And now I'm a guy that likes pearl. Now I'm a guy that um, doesn't hate the smell of jasmine anymore. I am still not a big fan. It's one of my very least favorite incenses, but that's what I have been burning. When I'm talking to the moon, it's, it's incense. It, I'm sorry, it's, when I'm talking to the moon, it's jasmine always. Um, that's a freaky thing. Okay, okay. You know what? I'm exaggerating. I still fucking hate Jasmine. I hate <laughs> no. The reason that I'm able to say that is because when I have started to get connected to the moon, I start liking it more. That is the freaky shit about spirit-led theurgy. You start to share the preferences of the, of the planetary spirits that you're involved with. I have little chills thinking about it now. Like, Jupiter made me like the color blue. Um, again, not something I'm into, but now I am. Um, I've always believed that the kind of things you like, things to the effect of what's your favorite color? Whatever your answer to things like your favorite color, your favorite smells, your favorite stones, I feel like those are all pieces of information about the kind of spirit incarnated in you. The person that you are, it's it's like the you know the, the the jokes about oh what goes in your summoning circle, that but unironically, mm. um, and so to to see your preferences start to to warp in response to whatever practices you've been doing, to me that's one way that I I just know in my guts that magic is real. Do you ever try to game that a little bit where you know something like say has a much more has a standard lunar. Uh, significance and you say okay i'm training myself to like x to bring me mm. closer to the moon or is it better if it just happens if you just have feel like you're you're porous and, and it comes i think if it just happens because i'm not i'm not trying to game my spirits i'm mm. i'm trying to entrain myself to them to become resonant with them so I burn jasmine not as not as a bribe but because that's the kind of thing that the moon and lunar spirits are into. They like when it's around in the same way that you would serve something to a guest because of their preferences. I mean, you know, st standard stuff here. So like, even though I actively dislike Jasmine, I know that that is probably the go-to incense for lunar work, at least as far as I know. Please, someone tell me an alternative. I really don't like it. Please do write into the show if you have alternatives <laughs> and I can forward them to Saul. If you have a better lunar incense, slide into my DMs. But, um, but no, I, I would feel like training myself to like something. It's not necessary for me to like it. Um, hmm. It's to, it's, I love the phrase that I, um, that I hear floating around in ceremonial magician uh, Twitter, uh, programming the air. 
I love the sound of that. That that feels like what what I do by burning incense. Sometimes I'll burn something non-ceremonially before entering ceremony for exactly that reason. Mm. So no effort has been made on my part um, to like these things. I just changed in accordance with uh, with the will that I, I linked to powers bigger and stranger than myself. Mm. So a thing about the moon that I feel like comes up sometimes, and maybe this is showing the sort of uh, eclectic reading that I've been doing. So maybe this is not actually a normal thought that I'm about to propose, but oh, please uh, get weird with me. I get the sense from certain traditions that, you know, the moon is sort of your permission to do the other stuff a lot of the time. It's not just that like a waning moon is good for this, a waxing moon is good for that, but actually it's the moon who decides whether or not you get to, you know, pop your head out north of the moon to go wherever everything else is, or maybe oh. it's the moon that like lets you talk to, you know, the sublunary realm, let's say. Like the moon is really the, uh, the, the captain of the rest of our lives when we are weak and small. Now that you and the moon seem to be kind of on good terms, let's say, do you find yourself bringing the moon in on non-lunar things a lot as sort of, you know, I'm with the bouncer kind of stuff? Or, or does the moon stay in its own little box for you and everything else is everything else? Like you, I love the idea of this kind of celestial intelligence moon orbiting the earth, zapping it with, with directed and regulated uh, energies from the other planetary bodies. I don't know if that is always true, but I love being in in the mindset of it being true. Mm. And I guess that's kind of consonant with my experience after after my work with with her. The way that I work in general is by planetary day or night. And so mm, when I am doing magic, I will typically open an invoking field to that planet using its hexagrams and then do something specific to that power. So for me, invoking more than one planet at a time becomes complicated and, and I'm honestly not really sure how to do it. I rarely feel the need to. Only a couple of times in recent memory have I have I done something with more than one power? And yeah, now that I think about it, those were invocations of the moon and Proteus the moon proteus and mercury and i i don't know the moon and mercury jive very well in my experience but usually i go directly to a particular and concentrated planetary spirit at the same time like we were talking about the cycles that slowly change the person you are and the magician you are if i were giving advice to a young magician with a planetary or astrological belt bent giving advice to a young magician with a planetary or astrological bent, I would absolutely encourage her to begin with the moon. Even if the idea of the, of the regulatory moon zapping us with the rest of the seven spheres is not necessarily true, even if that isn't true, my experience of her has been that everything else opened up, not in the way of a road opener, it's not like a road opener. Although, no, I would say it's more like a gatekeeping archetype. Not that I felt like the gates were closed, but I, I feel like the things I did in front of the moon turned me into the kind of person with a more nimble set of skills for approaching other powers. But for me, the moon was never nurturing. I have never really gotten the moon of the mother even though when I offer milk, I call it milk of the mother specifically to, to speak to that archetype, I, I get this, this resonating, strange, oceanic moon that, that is not emotionally invested in me or not emotionally responsive to me, which I regret. I, I feel like the, my experience of the moon is so radically different from anyone I wouldn't have to, to hunt down very specifically, someone from an extraordinarily specific band of magic, um, the, the moon in my life would be unrecognizable to your, you know, to your average crystal shop patron, I feel like. 
I don't mean that as a dig. I just mean that what the moon represents to most English speaking people with a woo woo and not necessarily ceremonial bent is miles away from my moon. I don't know what that means. So if she hasn't been nurturing, but she has enabled in some way this new version of you, what is that relationship like? I mean, is it, is it, because the way you're describing it, what it sounds like to me almost is like the classic, almost psychoanalytic, and we're talking like, you know, Freudian kind of stuff where like the, the psychoanalyst is not visible, is hovering over everything, is very much removed. And you find yourself kind of talking to a blank wall that occasionally goes, go deeper into that. And that is how you are helped. I have by being chills. left on the couch, supine. Oh my God. Sweet mercy. No, it's exactly like that, actually. Hmm. The, the chills are continuing. I'm thinking about how my, my major devotional image to the moon is just this blank cue ball above a human figure. Hmm. Um, With terrifying hands seems to be the theme too. <laughs> um, well, her, fan, her hands are just kind of purple and uncanny. Um, thinking of... So my devotional image is a very pleasant one by comparison to the painting I mentioned earlier, okay. um, which is really quite unsettling. I'll send it to you, I, I think. But yeah, that invitation to just to keep coming, to be in magician space in front of the moon, to get lost in mantra, to let let the lunar mantras teach you what they're supposed to be this recurring compulsion i have to figure her out because i don't i don't know what this power is i know that it's not it, this is i am not engaged with a goddess this is not diana sorry to be clear i'm not engaged with a historical goddess this is not diana this is this is not suen um this is not a moon with a personality the way that those spirits are. It's certainly not Hecate. It feels like being in a resonant space. Mm. When I really get into it, when the yantra starts swimming in front of my eyes, when I start getting rainbows in the incense smoke as I'm chanting and staring, chanting and staring, I feel like I'm at, at the center of some kind of acoustic space. Mm. There's not a person or at least not a, not a human or anthropomorphized personality in it. Back when I used to let myself get carried away with conspiracy theories, because I thought they were an interesting way to think, I remember hearing someone talking about the idea of like the moon is hollow. And the way that we know the moon is hollow is that when they landed on the moon, it resonated like a, it, you know, like a big bell. It just, and like, again, a thing that was like, there's no need for me to look up whether or not there's any truth to this because it's such a fun thought and who cares and it doesn't change my life whatsoever if it's true or not. But I love moon conspiracy theories. I love Nazi moon base moon. I love artificial satellite moon. Mm. I love the moon that farms human beings like cattle. And again, drop into my if you know the source of that idea. I saw it once. I've never seen it again. I urgently want to read whatever that idea is from. Mm. Um, oh, because holy shit, that's cool. But that that strange moon, the, the moon that that is uncanny, the, the false moon landing moon, that's one of those, those incredibly disparate faces of the moon that I was talking about. Like that has nothing to do with the archonic moon zapping us with planetary energy. It has nothing to do with the moon of the mother, nothing with the oceanic moon. Um, and couldn't be less similar to Joshua Michael Shry's moon of like the pulsing vesicles of the, of the living body, the moon of trance. That doesn't make it feel any less true. That's the thing. All of these visions of the moon feel true at the mm. same time. What is the moon hiding? <laughs> yes, what, it, what indeed. Perhaps it's a big egg. In, um, in the yeah. PGM, in one of the addresses to the moon, it, it invokes her... Oh, what is the exact language? It's written on this thing here. Xenane algame by your stranger ray. I love that. I every time I open the box that contains my mala, there's this passage that that invokes the moon and ends with with the question: Es el face? El case? Um, are you here? Are you listening? It's I have chills just thinking about it. 
that's really interesting too like the idea of like because i i saw you write that somewhere on the internet that greek of zene out and the thing is like the transliteration that you did and i'm sure this is it's hard to tell because the germans have historically been obsessed with greek poetry to some extent like i you know like Mm -hmm. goethe tried to recreate greek poetic meter in german um but auge the ray right looks Mm -hmm. so much just like the german word for eyes yeah which Mm -hmm. i don't you know, oh, another, another I, I love the, the Renaissance optical theory that you have eye beams that reach out like wiggly little Aten rays and touch things and figure them out. I always feel the moon as an eye when I'm actually out there looking up at her. I get the most creeped out by the moon when I'm, I'm staring at it because she is looking back. Yeah, the Greek goes, I see you, you see me. And the idea of beholding and being beheld is is so central to my thoughts on the luminaries right now. I I feel like I finally figured out something useful about the sun for my practice. I've started to think of the sun as a reality-maintaining, reality-rewriting power. The sun as the force of consensus reality. The sun as the force behind things like the Mandela effect, where reality has suddenly changed which is what we do as magicians. I finally figured out the sun's value to me as a practitioner as the sorceress sun, the night ruling sun and the, and the day ruling sun, this tension between the sun that maintains reality and the sun inside, the sun of the will um, that allows us as, as incarnated spiritual beings to make changes to consensus reality just by being ourselves. And so this, the moon, of course, necessarily is locked into into a cycle of meaning with the sun. So if the sun, if I'm starting to think of the sun as a reality maintainer, and the moon is this this dark body that reflects the sun, she's involved in reality maintenance too, but in in a weird and reflected way that I'm still trying to figure out. It's, It's more than just the thing that everybody knows about the moon, the moon is like the emotional reality, um, which is like everything else also true. But I don't know, I've been thinking a lot about what I would say about this particular idea. And it's like, there, there are things that you you attract to yourself passively, just like this node in the network of magical and spirited beings. And I wonder if the moon's relationship to reality is connected to that, which is why we get the moon of psychics, the moon of witches. According to the, the energy center scheme that, that I am addicted to, um, the only way I could figure out the way Pete Carroll assigned Greek vowels to the, to the different energy centers was by realizing that he had mushed both of the lights together and located them on, on the Ajna with the vowel E for both of them, which is not correct uh, in terms of Greek sorcery, but sort of makes sense because they're both luminaries. Um, so, you know, this, this center of psychic but not sacred apprehension of reality, um, if both of the luminaries are there, that makes a lot of sense to me intuitively. We're shaping reality with our solar powers. And so what, what then is the moon's version of shaping? Is it the way that our, our bodies have their own demands? The way that the power of the body dictates so much about the, the kind of magicians we're going to be? Maybe the body is lunar, like um, like Joshua Michael Shry says. That feels right. I feel very in my body when I interact with the moon specifically in a way that is not really the case with um, with other planetary powers. And I feel like maybe it is from the moon that I have the sense that 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 the resonance of mantra is supposed to do something by being in our body. Mm. Uh, how and what i guess is the great work but i mean you are in in engaging with mantra you are creating a physical column of air inside of you that is yeah you you are literally resonant um when woo woo people talk about vibrations i feel like they are usually wrong but there's a kernel of truth in that that just by by feeling here here is here is my my chaos theory about the usefulness of mantra 
in a super practical way by feeling that vibration you are reminded that something is happening and you've already decided that thing is magic mm. and so not only do, do the vibrations of mantra lead us into a, a, a biological state because of how our bodies are built but psychologically by feeling that going on we are reminded in this in the same way that seeing a sigil pinned to your mirror reminds you that there is an operation ongoing i feel like if i can crack that if i can get myself to a place where when i feel the vibration i know that the magic is happening i will be five times the sorcerer that i am now and it's always the challenge of going from an intellectual understanding to to really believing it really really yeah the solar brain is the villain that keeps us from embodying these things i think sometimes hello if you're hearing this it means you're listening to an abridged version of this interview if you want to hear the full version head on over to patreon.com slash witchhassle and you'll be able to hear for a meager five dollars a month the full version of this episode a whole bunch of other bonus stuff it's really fun check it out also throughout the rest of this interview we kept kind of coming to the end of it and then like getting distracted by a new idea so i've made some more little snips here and there you'll hear this interstitial music a few more times that's all that means all right, back to the chat. What is something you'd like to leave people with? Now that we've had these considerations of the moon, what it is, what it isn't, what it refuses to be. I think that the knowledge that you are a local spirit mm. is incredibly powerful. That you are a spirit in the place where you are changing the field around you by your activities seen and unseen so the more you cultivate your home to be the total environment that manifests the spirit that you are the more your magic links you and connects you to the powers that want to work through you and that you are happy to let work through you the more you are manifesting the things of whoever is dear to you and whoever you are dear to. That's what a magical life means to me, at least. I think of myself as, an, as, as a node pumping out the things of Venus. I make, I make my spaces smell nice. I create beautiful things. I have a, a frankly sick compulsion to decorate every surface that I come into contact with. I have the most gorgeous classroom uh, in, in the building. And that's just on the superficial level, manifesting the experiences of others that, that are important to you as a spirit, that are important to the spirits that you're important to. Mm. Someone who has a stake in me, I think, is really interested in in practices of resonance. Um, there is something about whatever this whole situation is that wants a more vibrating, repetitious, slow-paced world. There are there are all these abstract qualities that that are flowing out of this 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 incarnation. And the kind of magic I do that feels the most right comes from that same place. Magic that depends on chanting for hours is, is not for everyone, but it is the thing that defines me. Find the thing that defines your practice of magic. The things that make you excited to think about, the kind of things that flatter your self-image, I don't think that's delusion. I don't think that's getting distracted from the real work. It's really easy to look down your nose at people who are from a very different splat book than you are, to use a, a term from tabletop role-playing. You know, when they publish like the book of the rogue, and then it's a whole, whole bunch of different ways to be a particular character class. Where I am is as magical as someone who is deep into a very kind of crispy, crunchy, crystally new age. 
experience of the magical. They're from a different splat book. But those are the things they like. They don't need to be corrected. There is something about the spirit in that body and the spirits connected to that incarnation that's really interested in things like pyramids made out of copper. Cool. Manifest what is what is important to your spirit. There's nothing that can define the magical life you want more or better than what you want. And coming to terms with that has been the process of coming into my own as a magician. When I started, okay, here's something I've realized about myself. There is a strong tendency in my heart to see that something is popular and well-represented in the practice of other people and say, well, whatever isn't that. When I started doing magic, I was, was convinced I would simply not do tarot. Um, I would find some other method of divination because, you know, getting over that kind of impulse of, of trying to dictate the kind of magician you are instead of just feeling the kind of magician you are, feeling into it and finding what really makes you excited, what makes that inner 13-year-old dork squeal in delight is so powerful once you let yourself do it. The voice that, that says you're just letting yourself get distracted is demiurgically trying to shut off the kind of things that not only empower you, but empower the flora and fauna around you. It's very lovely. It's like when you light incense, it's, it's, not, it's not because the gods need incense. It's because creating that moment with a lit candle and a beautiful smell and a, and a plume of, of smoke, that's creating creating in the sense of God creating a space and a mood and a beauty and a moment in time that will never be repeated and has never been before, you have said, in this space, I am making something elevated because I want a better world. And that starts here on my altar with, with this little collection of objects. The gods don't need our candles, but the gods want a world with more candles in it because mm. they're lovely. The gods don't need incense to feed on it, but a room that is redolent of frankincense is now lousy with plant spirits because it, it's you're, you're breathing them. The magic is intensified because of the fullness of experience, in my opinion. I think that's why we do it. And also, you know, for correspondence reasons. That is really Lean lovely. Into the total experience. Yeah. And habit forms the resonance by by doing the act you are creating the frequency it, yeah you're you're becoming more like the spirits that you're entrained to and and they're becoming more present your your soul is changing because of the things you do and the more the, the more the more you change in a particular direction i think the more clearly you see the kind of being that you want to be If people want to find you and <laughs> perhaps purchase a mala or just, you know, sit at the feet, ask some questions, no where do they go? No one sit at my feet because I am a coward and a dumbass. I don't believe in truth and I don't have anything to teach, but I am very funny. So Good enough. by all means, please uh, look for me on Twitter, Saul underscore Mondrian, two A's like the painter. And... Um, that's really the, the center of my, of my social life um, as a magician right now. I am urgently trying to expand it into, into Phoenix. So, um, you know, if you know some spooky people in the desert, let me know too. Anything, is there anything you would regret not saying right now on the record to the children? Aiden Walker's Six Ways changed my life. It is the only book of magic that has ever been worth it to me. The one. Um, wow, that's huge. That's like a yeah. huge, yeah. So 
if I have to part with an endorsement, it's that. I miss him terribly. He's one of the people that uh, that found social media a miserable experience and is now happily in the desert with his spirits, um, leaving the rest of us behind like like a narrative from from early mystery cults. I suspect if you'd email if you emailed him, he would respond. He seems like I'm a millennial. I he's a very wait. friendly man. I oh, I know saintly man. I can barely text. Uh, I have a 10 DM limit and then I have to go lay down. Uh, <laughs> or perhaps, as I say often, like the philosopher, I believe that nothing can be communicated by the art of writing. I mean, words are just little barriers we put between us and other people. And on that note, this has been a joy and a pleasure. Saul, thank you for taking the time to tell us about the moon. I'm so delighted to have had this opportunity. Thank you for inviting me on. I feel extraordinarily blessed by your interest and attention. And I, I hope that, that this is useful and of interest. I am sure it will be. Because I think if the moon is the gateway, a lot of more people need to start walking up to that and letting it stare at them in ways that make them uncomfortable. on the moon, you're curling your arms, far away from all the crowds, up above the silvery clouds, Many, many, many thanks to Saul Mondrian for talking about the moon. Thank you for listening to Witch Hassle After Dark. As always, our theme music was performed by Sebastian Bafestam and recorded by Edward Lee, or maybe it's Edward Lee, or Edvard Lee, the V? If it's with a V in their German, it would be Edvard Lee, I think. Regardless, thank you for listening, and good luck with the work ahead. <laughs>